Okay, so we are starting a series on uh, hearing from God, or no, God's, it is hearing from God, but God's direction, uh, discerning God's direction, and which is partly hearing from God for sure, but it's also once you hear from God, like many of you have already heard from God this morning in the prophecy room, what in the world is he saying and what do you do? What do you do? Because I, there can sometimes be a disconnect in order to hear God, and then there could be another disconnect in like, okay, I've heard something, but what in the world do I do? What in the world do I do? And that's what we're going to be focusing on a little bit more, unless God gives us another direction. So we'll see. The plan isn't always clear, and I think uh, the message title for today was, I hate ambiguity. I hate ambiguity. Let me tell you, I hate it. I like clarity. I like a direction. And, uh, but today we're talking about ambiguity as a foundational concept in following God. Ambiguity, ambiguity, not being sure, feeling like there's multiple options and being unsure of what to do. The plan isn't always clear. So, um, when I'm, like Wilma said, I'm a psychologist, so I spend a lot of my day in a comfortable chair, basically a living room, and uh, looking at my clients and trying to figure out how to give them what they came for in a certain amount of time, usually in the last 10 minutes, because that's when they usually look at me and say, now, what are you going to do for me? So I'm sitting there. This is my world. I sit there, and I'm looking at one person. I'm looking at two people, usually, and, and they're looking at me. And I set up my office in a certain way because it really is necessary that I check on the time, just like I need to check on the time so I know I feel comfortable, I feel safe in my space, that I know what's happening, but it's really impolite to check the clock. So, in order for me to be able to check the clock, in order to be able to keep the session, you know, at the, in the right vein, in the right process, I have a clock just above the client's head behind them. And uh, so I can just glance around the room and I know what time it is. And, um, and then I also have a fish tank, which is also very necessary, just off to the left, and that's where I look when I'm anxious myself and I need to relax. And so it's a furniture in the office that nobody can see, that only I can see, and it's still hard for me to see. And there's another clock, and it's invisible, but I can, I can, it's not the clock that I was talking about before, it's not an actual clock, so just go with me here, this is an image, this is an analogy. But it actually is a very vivid one for me in the room. And I can, I can not literally hear it ticking away, but I can feel it ticking. Because I feel like, especially with some clients, some clients it doesn't feel like time matters at all, but with many, many clients who come in, I feel like there's this clicking talk in their, there's click, this ticking clock in their life. They have to make a decision. They have to make a change. They're in pain. And they can only take it so much longer. And sometimes it's, oh, I remember I even had a client check their own watch when they felt like their relationship was over. They were taking the time and date of death on their relationship when their partner said something. There's this clock reality in the room, and there's pressure inside of me as they present me and maybe even try to bluff disaster, like they will threaten disaster. They will say, I will pull the trigger. I will end this relationship. I will kill myself. I will do these things. And, and so they will point to the clock themselves. And sometimes they're reading the time wrong, like they're not actually going to do those things. But that clock ticking 
I don't have much time. Okay, I really won't kill myself. But it is ticking. Can't you hear it? Do something. Do something. And I feel myself at times, I'm reaching up to this, grabbing onto the hands, and I am trying to buy more time. Even more than I'm trying to buy a solution. You'd think I'd be trying to figure out what to do. I'm not trying to figure out what to do. I'm trying to buy them more time so that they can figure out what to do. How can I figure out what to do in these lives? I don't know. But I, maybe I can give them a little bit more time. And so I feel myself that I'm reaching up. And I'm like pulling on that clock and I'm trying to, I'm trying to change their reality so that they have a little bit more time, maybe till the next session, in order to be with me, in order to be in their life, and in order to be able to think a little bit more clearly about what they have to do and the disaster that they're facing, the disaster that they feel right there. Hmm. Most of the time I'm trying to pull it back. Sometimes I'm actually trying to push it forward. I'm pushing people to actually make a decision. They're caught in indecision and they've been there for years. And I'm pushing them to actually do something, anything. Because that clock has stopped in their life. They're frozen in a moment. And I'm actually reaching up and I'm trying to push them forward. And I don't know what they're supposed to do, but I know that they have to do something differently. So this is the reality that I'm faced with almost every day, the pushing and pulling of time and being caught with them in impending disaster hour after hour. I'm facing the end of some reality. And I think most of us face this in our lives. We feel the clock. We might not think of it that way, but we feel this pressure in ourselves to make a decision, to make something happen, or we feel something coming and we're desperate we're desperate to pause time and get away from the decision that we have to make. And we have to manage this ambiguity, this uncertainty about what to do. And we see it in the Bible, and I want to point to two examples today of people who were facing ambiguity, who were facing a, a crisis in God's direction. And in one story, they didn't, they acted too soon, they were impatient, and they needed to wait longer. And in another, they needed to be more action-oriented. They actually needed to take that step. So in one they didn't, and in one they did. And we'll talk about each. And then we're going to talk about what to do, what you can do in those situations to help yourself, because I don't know your situation, and just like in my office, I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you what God is telling you to do, and I can't tell you when. I can't tell you whether you're supposed to wait longer, and I can't tell you whether you should act, act now. But there are principles that we can see in these stories. So the first story is Saul. <clears throat> Saul was a king over Israel, first king. And it wasn't long before he made his first big mistake and basically lost his kingdom in his first venture. He was reigning two years over Israel and he got an army together. And he got an army and they prepared for war and they went out to war and he called everybody to him. And he had one instruction. His instruction was to wait, to be patient. He had to wait for a certain day 
And I'll read starting, I'll leave its numbers. I should have written it down here. I normally do. Anyway, verse 5, and it says, And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sands on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped on Michmash to the east of Bethaven. Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. Some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people following him trembled. So just picture it. Okay, let's go have a war. Oh, wait, where are you all going? <laughs> he waited seven days. He's supposed to wait for Samuel to the appointed time, and he's waiting. He's supposed to wait seven days. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Isn't that just the way? That's when mom would arrive when I did something bad, right when I was finished. She, did you know Wilma said a prayer when I was born that I would never get away with anything? Oh, anyway. Get Wilma to pray for you. She's got powerful prayers. Anyway, so Samuel said, What have you done? What have you done, Saul? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the day appointed and that the Philistine had mustered at Mishmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me in Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be a prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And then Samuel left. And the story goes on. Anyway, Saul didn't have a great life after that. So we have a man who's a fairly new leader, first army, and he's trying to wait. And everybody's scattering. And it looks like he's going to lose. And he makes the decision to go against what God has called him to do when Samuel doesn't come. The expectations around timing are so challenging. How often do you feel like things are taking longer than they should? How often do you feel like you've had a word from the Lord and it hasn't actually happened yet, and by now it should have? By now it should have. And he takes matters into his own hands, and you, there was a division between kings and priests, Kings were not supposed to give sacrifices. So he broke, he broke God's way. 
And Samuel does something eternal. There's an eternal consequence for an in-the-moment decision. And it's amazing. And he takes away his blessing, not only from Saul, but from Saul's entire line. And then there's the first declaration of the next king, of David, to be a man after God's own heart. And you might say, well, what's a man after God's own heart? Well, when Samuel goes and blesses David, when he finds David and he blesses him, he says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, God speaking, a man after God's own heart. And then he defines what it means to be a man after God's own heart. And he says, he will do everything I want him to do. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, if you know the life of David, you know that that's not true in a certain way, right? David had a horrible, horribly disobedient life. So I'm going to come back to that. David was a murderer and an adulterer. But there's some reality there where David was doing something that Saul wasn't doing. So I want you to remember that. We have Saul as this example of impatience. He's impatient. I don't know if you've been impatient. I've been impatient. I hate ambiguity. If, there was, if I was in error, I'm a Saul. Oof, I'm a Saul. I'm that guy. Oh my goodness, I like to do things at my timing. And usually, I'm a little bit more impatient. I'm on the impatient side. I have trouble waiting. Lord has been trying to teach me patience for a long time, and I'm getting better. But I'm that guy. I'm the guy who's like, oh, well, we'll just make it happen. And uh, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Now, there's the other side, and there's the not acting soon enough. So if this couldn't get more confusing, we'll make it more confusing for you, because there is the other side when you don't act soon enough. Now, there's the New Testament example of this is the parable of the talents. And so there's a man who is given these talents, and he buries them. You're not acting at all. He just buries them. And nothing good happens to him. He doesn't do what God has called him to do. And this is what the parable says. It says, And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness, into the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. All I did was I was trying to be careful. I was trying to be careful. Old Testament stories. They have so much color. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. This is number thir- Numbers 13. And so Moses sent out some spies. Did you know that there were spies in the Bible? Are you a spy for Jesus? Uh, you, can be, you can be a spy for Jesus. Maybe there's a calling on some of you to be spies for Jesus. Oh, that's fun. I like that. We have watchmen, prophets. But what about the spies? Have we paid enough attention to the spies of the Lord? Well, if God's calling you to be a spy, let's talk. So Moses sends out the spies into the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees or not. Be of good courage. And bring some fruit from the land. I'm hungry. No, I added the hungry, but he did say bring some fruit. And there was, it was the season of grapes, it says right after that. And then the spies come back and they say, 
It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And they start talking about um, like giants in the land and different things like this. These different people who live there. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the people, sorry, then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. They're super tall. And there were people of the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed, and we seemed to ourselves like, so they're saying, oh, don't go, don't go, we can't go into this land. This is the promised land that Moses brought the people out to go into. And they're like, don't go, don't go, it's scary, they're people, oh, they're big people. And they've got walls, and they've got giants. We'll never be able to do it, except Caleb. And you know what happens? Like, this might seem like a little thing, right? Like, the spies come back, they're just supposed to report on land. It might seem small. Guys, be careful. It's scary out there. The world is real, you know? Like, we're going to get killed. They're being, like, realistic, aren't they? But they demoralized the people. And the people wanted to stone Moses. Of course. That's what happens, Right? The people are like, why did you take us into the desert? We were better off in Egypt, which was like the chorus. And they said, let's stone Moses and let's get a leader who will take us back to Israel. And then the life, their lives change forever because that is the moment that they are told they will never leave the desert. They will never leave the desert, except for the spies who said that they could go into the land. The spies with the good report get to go into the promised land. Everybody else is denied. And the next 40 years, they spend wandering in the desert. Are you still called to be a spy? If you're going to be a spy for the Lord, you better believe in God's power. Because you have to believe when you see the giants. So, we have Saul who acts impatiently and he acts too quickly and he doesn't wait and he loses his kingdom forever and we have the Israelites who decide not to act and they lose the promised land in their life they will never see it so what are we to do and what can we learn from these two stories what can we learn from these two stories The solution for both groups, acting or not acting, is courage. It's courage. It's faith. If you have faith, you don't even need courage. If you have less faith, you need more courage. If you believe in God's power, then you're like, whatever, it's just going to happen. You don't even need courage. But if you kind of believe in God's power, then you need to like, equalize it out with some courage. Because it's like, I think God's going to do it, and I've got to really steal myself, because he might not. 
So the better option here is that you don't have courage, but you have faith. But if you only have some faith, then you're going to need some courage because you, that is what God is looking for. He's looking for a people who believe him. He's looking for a people who believe him. And I believe that there is a reality in the Bible that you can make a lot of mistakes if you have faith. But if you don't have faith, there's very little that you can do. You're going to make mistakes here, you're going to make mistakes there. But if you have faith, if Saul was courageously offering that sacrifice, I don't know how you can be courageously saying that we can't go into Israel, but like if you can do your life courageously, God's going to make it work. He's going to be like, hey, you really believe me. I did not want you to go into that land, but man, you thought I could do it with you, and so here you go. I think that God is going to bless faith even if you make a mistake on what he actually said. I think that's beautiful. But if you're fearfully saying, God, you can't do this, and I'm going to do this, and it's like, I said that's what you should do, but you're not doing it with any faith, any faith. I can't believe that you don't trust me. I mean, at least you're doing it. Sheesh. That's good. But come on, get some faith. I am powerful. Don't you know who I am? I still think there's a lot in obedience. If you hear the Lord and you do it and you get over that fact that, and you just have that courage and you do it, I think there's a lot there. But the main thing that is displeasing to the Lord is fear. It's fear. <clears throat> so the reason I think that this is applicable is a few things I can't tell you. But things have been happening in my life, so I'll describe them generally. Things have been happening in my life and in the church that have been pushing me. And so it's been hard to like get a handle on this because it's just a little too close to home. Just a little too close to home. I feel like God in November, gave me, he gave me a dream where I was giving birth, and I've referenced it here before. I was giving birth, and in the dream, this is where he didn't tell me everything. In the dream, I gave birth, and it was pleasant. If you've ever seen a pleasant birth, I had one. I gave birth to a baby. It was... I had the belly, I gave birth, and there was nothing awkward about it, like I didn't feel female or like I didn't have any of the awkward stuff that happens when you give birth. Uh, giving birth is terribly awkward. Uh, anyway, so there's pain and all of this like stuff that happens. But anyway, I didn't have any of that happen. I was just pregnant and then boom, there was a baby. And God even like has backed up this word, that there's this birth. And we went, we got a prophetic word over, over us, and the prophetic word was, was this verse, like not exactly, but it was like me going into the promised land. It was Joshua being decreed, go, you're going into the promised land, and, and they were reading it over me. They were like, you, and the big message was be of good courage, which is frightening, sorry. It was like, oh, why is the main message for me to be of good courage? It's like, oh, you know, it's like, what's coming, God, that you have to tell me to be courageous? Because you know that when he tells you to be courageous, that your courage is not sufficient because he has to tell you to go and get some more, yeah. you know? So it's like, what am I facing? It might not be a lot for some people, but it was courage. Something's going to happen. So I had this birth, and I was like, oh, it's just going to be a nice birth. You know, I'm going to get something new. I'm getting a present, you know, a new reality, I'm not going to have awkward pregnancy anymore, but then I got this like, oh, be of good courage, and it's like something, you're going into a new land, same prophetic word, different image, but the pain is highlighted. 
And then I get this message. Let me tell you that even though I didn't get it in the dream, the birth has been awkward and it's painful. And it tests you. Tests you inside, right? <sighs> tests you. So pray for me. Mm. Be of good courage. And I'm calling you to be of good courage. I'm sorry that that's the message. I'm sorry that you will need courage to be of good courage. The Lord loves you so much, but he has places to take you. He has things to do in your life. And we get so comfortable so quickly. I was thinking about how God leads me. I was like, okay, I'm going to do a thing on God's direction. And I was like, I can't preach this. The main way he leads me is with pain. It's like pain because I'm just so stubborn. Like, I just, like, he tells me to do something and it's like, okay, you know, I'm doing it. Hey, it's working okay. And then it's like, it's not working okay. And I'm like, I can't hear you. You know, it's like, it's working. And, and then he's like, now I'm going to make it not work, you know? And it's like, and then all of a sudden I get a little bit more active and it's like this, this pain, it doesn't have to be painful, but I'm not perfect. Like I have, I have, I have some deafness, you know? And so I get led through pain, and, and I need courage rather than faith because I don't have perfect faith. So I need to have courage. If I had perfect faith, I could step off a cliff and not even feel anything. I would just be like, do-do-do, Lord, just like, do-do-do, step off the cliff, give me something. Try to make the step a little smaller. Whew. You may be faced with uncertainty in your life. You may have ambiguity in your life. I almost get itchy when I get ambiguity. It's like, oh, like, I don't know what to do, but I want to do, I have to do something, and he's not telling me. People, like, when I started this church, people were like, what's your vision? Oh, I wish I knew. I wish. Oh, my goodness, Lord. Like, you have no idea how much I want to have a vision, but he just told me to start a church. That's all I got. I'm guessing we have to meet somewhere. It's like, ah, Lord's available. I don't know, like... That probably means, means we need like a message and some singing and, and people to come. Like, I want a vision, but I don't have one. I don't want to make one up. Right? But Cyrus, you need a vision. A leader has a vision to lead the people. And it's like, I don't have a vision. And if you can help me with that, that's great. But I am supposed to start a church. That was clear. So I'm going to do it. And if you don't come, that's fine because it's supposed to be me and the Lord. That is who I'm doing this for. And if I do it for you, I am going to burn. Like, I, and I don't mean like burn in hell. I mean like I am going to like crash and burn. Like I am going to have so much stress. So it's me and God and that's it. And I, I don't know. I'm praying. Pray for a vision. And lately, he's actually been giving me one, and now it's like, oh, he's giving me a vision. Be of good courage. Be of good courage. So, are you ready to be a Joshua? Are you ready to step into the new lands in your life? Are you ready to take what you think he's telling you to do? So if you think you know what God is telling you to do, I would encourage you to be of good courage and take that step because that is what pleases him. It's faith. It's faith, not accuracy. It's faith.
It's faith. He's not looking for you to be accurate. He's looking for you to be faithful. And if you're inaccurate, guess what? He's going to fix it. And it might be painful, but he will fix it. It's hard to get people of faith who will listen. You know what people are afraid of when they come to a prophecy appointment? They're not afraid that God won't speak. Some of them are. They're afraid that he will. I'm not coming. Why? Because he might say something to me. Oh my goodness. What if he makes it clear? Be of good courage. He loves you. He loves you. Let's pray. Actually, stand with me. Stand with me. Band, if you could come up. Lord, we're going to get it wrong. You know it. You knew it before we even... We're just going to get it wrong. Oh, we're going to go too soon. We're going to go too slow. We're going to get it wrong. And Lord, I pray that each of us here would have a mustard seed of faith. That we would base whatever we do on a belief in you and not a fear that you don't, aren't there. Lord, I pray that each of us, that you, would, that you would give each person here just an insight into the side of them that is walking in faith that you would highlight it for them, that you would say, it's this. This is the part that believes in me. Go that way. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give us a next step that we could do, not everything maybe, but if we could do everything, but amen. But Lord, give us that next step. Give us that next step that we can take a hold of and walk into that faith and walk. And then, Lord, I pray that you would turn the wheel, that you would give us more. How many visions I've had, how many roads I've been on that you have turned left or right as I've walked. And, Lord, I pray that I would be able to walk and that you would continue to turn left and right as I go because I'm going to get it wrong. I pray for courage for each person here. As we sing, I just pray that you would, that you would pray that we would worship in spirit and truth and in courage and in faith. Spirit of truth. Let your spirit of truth come and rest on each person here. Oh Lord, we pray for that. Sing into that. Worship into that, Lord. We let our praises be an introduction. Let our praises be an invitation. Amen.